Let's learn. Let's learn. We got parashas by Yishlach. So the events that we are dealing with in our lives right now in Eretz Yisrael, the world, really, uh, you know, as the Rebbe Shalom orchestrated things, all of these things are happening. Parshas Sefer Brachis. So all the stories that we're reading about the Avos, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, each story uh, has so much relevance to the events that we are experiencing uh, right now. Our parsha uh, by Yishlach is the parsha of the battle between Yaakov and Esav. It begins, of course, with Yaakov sending gifts. Yaakov, let's just put this in context. We're going to go back and forth a little bit. But in context, Yaakov has spent the last 20, 22 years or so with his uncle Lavan. He ran away from Esav after stealing the brachas. Over the course of last week's parsha, he has four wives. He has 12 children. 11 boys and a girl. The 12th, uh, Yosef Binyamin, is going to be born this week on his uh, way back in. And he, on his way back home, he sends all of these gifts to Esau, his brother from whom he ran 22 years prior. And uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, our parsha is also going to have the abduction of Dina. Dina, that daughter uh, we just mentioned, is taken captive um, abused, so to speak, and then recaptured. Not only do the sons of Yaakov capture Dina, they annihilate the entire city that was holding her. Much we could have discussed and tied into today's events, um, but I will just mention that that's not going to be our topic. What I want to focus on is the very last conversation that we have recorded between Yaakov and Esav. Why is this of particular interest to me right now? Besides for the fact that it's a beautiful series of descriptions that Yaakov leaves us with. But uh, the exile we're in is known as the exile of Edom, the exile of Rome, the descendants of Esau. There are four exiles that the sages delineate that the Jewish people will go through. Um, the exile of Bavel, of Mida, of Yavon, of Greece, which will celebrate Hanukkah in a few moments, in a few weeks. And then the last one that we're in, the fourth and final exile, that of uh, Edom, that of Esau. So this last conversation, this last dialogue between Esau and Yaakov holds, to me, great import of this journey that we're on. Of this, this, uh, this, we're at the end of it, but it's been a very long one. To set up what we're about to discuss, I just want to go back to last week's question, which we didn't have a chance to share in person, and the dream that Yaakov has on his way out. So this famous dream, we'll speak about it very briefly, it's really last week's parsha. as Yaakov leaves the land of Israel on his way to, to uh, his uncle Lavan. So you're familiar, the ladder, foot of the ladder is on the ground, the head of the ladder is up in the, in the heavens, and angels are going up and then down the ladder. So all the commentators discuss the imagery and the symbolism of this dream and of the ladder specifically, and why are the angels going up first and then going down? One would have thought they would be coming down from heaven and then maybe going back up. And lots of commentators, lots of different opinions. As an introduction to our discussion today, I just want to share quickly the Ramban says the imagery of a ladder, there are rungs of a ladder. And the angels, the Malachi Elohim, Elohim is the language of angels, not just of God, but Elohim is a word, and we'll see it in this week's parsha again, often just means people of power or of strength. Very often judges are referred to in the language of the Chumash as Elohim. They're just, they're, it's a powerful body. So the Malachi Elohim, the Ramban sees from the Medrash that he quotes, is a reference to the four exiles that the Jewish people will experience. And the Medrash that the Ramban says expresses it as Yaakov is asleep, and the, the idea of being asleep also, as 
If you remember, Avraham had a moment in the bris bain habasarim, the covenant that he experienced, in which he also went to sleep, and it was a dark time, and he showed the exile of the 400 years that his children will be in Egypt. And so the Ramban sees, in the Medrash sees, in Yaakov being asleep, this time of darkness, the time of night, a time of fear, and these angels of power coming up and then back down, first starting up. So the Ramban sees that, or the Medrash again, sees that as these four powers of the world that are going to rule over the Jewish people and the world going up and then coming back down. And the going up is the ascension of power. And the Medrash says as follows, I just want to read you briefly a few lines. So the Ramban says, first what Hashem showed him was um, Sar Malchus Bavel, the angel of Bavel, the first of the exiles, Ola Shivim Okim, it went up 70 rungs. What are the 70 rungs that the angel of Bavel ascended? What does it represent? 70 years of the exile of Bavel in between the destruction of the first base of Mikdash and the 70 years of exile, during which time the Purim story happens, and then we go back to rebuild the second base of Mikdash. And then after the angel goes up 70 rungs, Yoreh comes back down. And then he showed him the angel of Mid, the Median exile of Madai. And it goes up, 52 rungs it goes up, corresponding to the 52 years that the Medians ruled, the Oreb. That was the end of our second exile. And then the third exile, the Greek exile. It went up 180 rungs, corresponding to the 180 years that the Greeks ruled over the land of Israel. And then, Yoreid, it went down. And then, And then, uh, the Ayakov was shown a vision of the Edom, the, the descendants of Edom, the descendants of, uh, of Esav, which we translate as the Roman or Western world. Ole, it went up. Ve'eno yoreda. Just went up and up and up. And Yaakov is there sleeping in this dark dream. And he just sees this last exile. That doesn't end. It just, it, he just, the angel just keeps going up. We're 2,000 years and counting, not 180, not 52, not 72. 100, 2,000 years and counting. So the, the Medrash quotes, the angel of Edom says, I'm soaring up in the heavens, you're never going to catch me. So Hashem says, Im Even if you're as high... As a eagle, I will bring you back down. And uh, so says the Medrash. That's the, the Medrash. What does this represent? So we're in this interminably long exile. Every other exile we went through, 70, one generation, 70 years, 52 years, you had people in both of those who saw the original and then went home. The Greek exile, 180. That's already two, three generations. Great-grandparent might have been able to tell you about what it was like, but that exile was in the land of Israel. There was a base on Mikdash. It was defiled, but it was there. 180 years. Our exile, just, you know, it's just unending. There isn't anybody who can say, I remember what it was. It's 2,000 years. It's 2,000 years. So this, this image that Yaakov has, of, he doesn't see the angel ever coming down. 
Hashem has to tell him, not to worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him down. But Yaakov doesn't see it. Yaakov doesn't see that. It's just up and down and up and down. It just seems to go up. And with that, Yaakov goes into this exile. And now, fast forwarding to our parsha, after the 22 years, after his four wives, after his children, now he's coming back and he's getting ready to meet and do battle with his brother, uh, brother Asaph. So we're going to uh, zoom through just outside a little bit about that because I want to get to their final discussion. So Yaakov is afraid of what's going to be with his brother Esau. So he presents all of these gifts and he sends all of these malachim, um, which literally would mean agents. Rashi understands based on Chazal, he sent angels to give them to uh, Esau and they come. Lavish gifts of animals and all sorts of, uh, all sorts of goods. After he sends all of his uh, gifts, he then brings his family. He's ready to, to meet as they're on their way back to the land of Israel. On the way there, we have this famous battle with uh, the angel of Esau. The Torah again describes it just as an ish, as a person. Yaakov is left alone as he's bringing all of his family over a certain body of water. And he goes back to retrieve his final few items. And while he's there, the Torah tells us about this wrestling match between this person, again, who Chazal identify as the angel of Esau, and they're not, this angel is not able to defeat Yaakov, but of course he uh, injures his, uh, his hip joint, and uh, that's why we have the prohibition of eating the Gid Hanasha, uh, which remains until today, the hind leg, uh, unless it is, uh, the, the nerve is, uh, is removed. Okay, all of that, and then finally Yaakov and Esau meet. All that, we could have spent a lot of time on all of that, but we'll just mention that briefly, and then we'll finally get to the actual meeting. Okay, so let's learn, let's learn the Psukim of their actual of their actual meeting. So you can turn to page... Oh, uh, I lost my place, sorry, when I flip back. Here we go, 178. 178, we get to our actual meeting. As they meet, if you even want to just flip back uh, one page before that, you'll see, beginning of Paraglam and Gimel, the 33rd chapter, um, Yaakov lifts up his eyes and he, see, he now actually sees Esav. And who does Esav come with, by the way, he's with? 400 men. He comes apparently ready to do battle. And Yaakov gathers all of his children together with each one of their mothers. And each one comes and bows down uh, before Esav, a Pasuk Dalin. Esav runs, he greets Yaakov, he embraces him in a hug, he kisses him, and they cry together. So this big battle that we weren't sure if it was going to turn into a war, Chazal have a lot of things to say, but let's just leave it at simple, surface meaning, Esav runs, gives him a hug, gives him a little kiss, Top of page 178. Esav looks up and he sees all of these women, all of these children. He says, Who are all of these people? Yaakov says, These are the children that Hashem has blessed me with. And all of the, uh, the women and the wives and the children come forward and they bow down. And Leah and Rachel, Yosef and Rachel, everybody comes. And again, there's what to discuss the depth, the, the details of the, all of that episode, but again, not for us this morning. Let's start, uh, let's start with that. Pasuchas. Here we're going to, the eighth verse, we're on the top of page 179. So Esav says, what's, what's the deal? You sent me all of these things. I was, I was just hanging out. The Ramban, actually, in the beginning of the parsha takes Yaakov to task. 
And he says, Esav was just minding his own business. You initiated this whole thing. You sent him all of the, you stirred the pot. Leave him alone. Esav was doing his thing. You're on your way home. Why do you have to <coughs> kick up all of this fuss with all of these gifts and all of this attention? Just leave it. And that's basically what Esav says. Why do you send me all of these things? By the way, the Ramban says, I have to just add, that very often we see whatever happens in the stories of Chumash are pretending what's going to be later on. So here, Yaakov initiated this. You know, well, we have a phrase in English, don't poke the bear, leave it alone. So Shlomo Melech had a similar phrase in Mishlei, don't grab a dog by its ears. If you grab a dog by its ears, it's going to bite you. So don't do it. So the Chazal were angry at Yaakov. They, they took him to task for just, just mind your own business. Why do you have to bring Esav into the equation? The Ramban says this was going to eventually going to happen during the times of the second base Hamikdash. The Jews initiated, they sent a delegation to Rome to help them, to, to bring the Romans in to help them figure out part of the civil war that they were having and the infighting that the Jews were having. The Romans came in and uh, once invited in, did much more than they were asked to do and eventually destroyed the, ba- the base Hamikdash. The Ramban sees that whole episode of bringing your enemy in, leave them alone. If they're not starting up with you, you don't have to uh, uh, poke the bear, so to speak. So Yesav asks, what's the deal with all of these things? Why did you send them to me? So Yaakov says, I wanted to find favor. I wanted to find favor in your eyes. Okay, again, what we're going to now read are, is this discussion that we're about to have a back and forth is our final discussion that Yaakov and Esav are going to have. And it's going to send us off into this seemingly endless exile. 2,000 years and counting. This is our final interaction between Yaakov and Esau. So Esau says, why did you do this? Why did you give me all these gifts? Yaakov says, I wanted to find favor. I wanted you to like me. I wanted you not to hate me. I wanted you not to attack me. So I sent you all of these things so that things should be good. Because I understand, you have reason to hate me. I took your brachas after all. That's what the whole episode. Now really, I bought them. They were mine. But you didn't want to give them. So, you don't like me. You don't like me. So I wanted to send you gifts that we should be on good terms. I have a lot. I have a lot of stuff. Keep that which is yours, you can keep it. We're going to come back to this language. Yeshli Rav. I have, I have a lot of stuff already. I don't need your stuff. You keep that which is yours. Rashi quotes here that this language of Yehi Lecha Asher which in its simple meaning was you should have that which is yours. Rashi adds that Chazal saw in this that Esav was Moda Al Habrachos. He acknowledged you bought the brachos for me. You bought the first rights, firstborn rights, way back when. And you should have that which is yours. So Chazal peeled away this level of meaning, not just that you keep these gifts, that I don't want your animals, you keep them, but you keep the brachos as well. Chazal see that in this language as well. In any case, so Esav is saying, no, thank you. You keep them. Take them back. No, 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 no. Please. If indeed I have found favor in your eyes, please take this mincha, take this offering from my hands. I want you to have it. Now this is a, a 
complicated series of sukkim and phrases. Why does Yaakov say that you, Esav, should, should keep it? Ra'isi fanecha kiros penei elokim. I have seen in your face, like seeing the face of the penei elokim. What does that mean, the face of an elokim? Now here's that word we spoke about this a few moments ago. What are the two meanings of the word elokim? Strong one. Sometimes it means like a god. Like a divine being. Vatir and you were appeased by me. So the sages see in the two meanings of the word Elohim, the two levels of meaning that Yaakov was saying here. On the simple meaning, on the simple meaning, the word Elohim here would mean just a powerful one. I see in your face, I've come to meet you, I haven't seen you in 22 years, but I see in your face now, it's like seeing the Pnei Elohim, it's like seeing a powerful, powerful force. You are a powerful force, and you've been appeased by me. You've been, right now again, what, what was Esau's first reaction when they met? He hugged him. He came with 400 men. What does Yaakov have? Yaakov has four women and 11 children, the oldest of whom is about 12, 13 years old. That's what Yaakov is coming with. And Esau is coming with an army. Again, we'll see a lot of parallels, which either some need to be pointed out and some are just obvious. But this is the scene. That's, so, so why does Yaakov send gifts? Because he doesn't stand a chance. If this is going to become a battle, he doesn't have a prayer. So he sends all of these gifts, and he says, I see meeting you is like meeting the Pnei Elohim. Not in a divine sense, in a, a strong, powerful sense. And you've been willing to be appeased by me. My gifts worked. You came, you gave me a hug and a kiss, and we're having a dialogue, and I'm grateful, so please, please, just keep them. Keep them, that's the way it should be. That's the simple meaning of Yaakov's language when he says, I see the face of the, of the Elohim. Rashi points out again from Chazal, when you, the multiple levels of meaning. The other meaning of the Pnei Elohim is a reference to the, a divine kind of being. Remember again, we skipped over it, but what did Yaakov engage in right before he actually meets Esav? He engages in this wrestling match with this Malach of Esav. And is Esav able to defeat him? No. He wounds him, but Yaakov is left standing. And if we would have learned that whole episode inside, we would have seen the whole thing, the whole course of the night, really ties into this whole discussion, so I'll just mention it very briefly. Over the course of the night, they wrestle. Over the long, dark night, they wrestle. And it's like back and forth and back and forth. And then when dawn breaks, the angel of Esau says, it's over, I have to leave. And Yaakov says, now I'm on top. You won't leave until you give me a bracha. That, that, there's a lot of references in that episode as well over the long night of exile where Yaakov is, invi- is in- involved against his will in this long death wrestling match in which he maintains himself until finally dawn breaks. And when dawn breaks, then the angel's like, okay, I got to go. I'm out of here. Even though I wounded you and damaged you, but I, I can't stay. And Yaakov now is in the position of power and says, you give me a blessing. In any case, so the sages point out, when Yaakov says to Esau, wow, you're like the face of the Elohim. The simple meaning is you're a powerful force. I humble myself before you. Thank you for being appeased and le- let, me, let me live and leave me alone. His alternate meaning is, I recognize you. I just had a whole battle with your angel, so to speak, who's not able to defeat me. And so if you think that I'm afraid of you, if you think that I'm going to back down, I recognize your face. I've done battle with this before. 
and I'm prepared to continue that. So again, the double meanings in, uh, in the words here. In any case, Yaakov continues in Pasuk Yudalov, Take this blessing, take this gift that I've sent for you, it's yours. Hashem has given me and I have everything. And he pressed him and he took. Okay, a couple of points here as well. When he says, take it, Hashem has granted this to me. So the commentators also see in this a reference. Esav is afraid or upset. Why was Esav upset again in the whole thing that began this whole episode? You stole the brachos. So when Yaakov comes and says, you're the strong one. I see your face is like the, strong, the, the face of an Elohim. He's saying, like, you're really still the one in power. Don't be upset about the brachas as if I somehow am a dominant figure. You're still, you're the dominant figure in the world. You're the dominant figure in this region. It's yours. I, I have a few things. Hashem has blessed me with a few things. This is what I have. And from the things that I have, I share with you, but really you're still the one who's the dominant force. And how does Yaakov describe what it is that he has? Yeshli kol. Rashi here notes, as do many, many commentators, the difference between Esav's description and Yaakov's. When Esav says, listen, I don't need your gift, he says, Yeshli rav. I have a lot. I have a lot. I have a lot. And when you have a lot, you could always have a lot more. Yaakov says, I have everything. Whatever it is that I have, it's all that I need. I don't need anything. I have it all. You have everything? No, of course not. Nobody has everything. But I feel like I have everything. Yesh, li, kol. That's exactly right. Asamech, bechelko. These two approaches. Yesh, li, rav. I have a lot. And I have everything. Yaakov says, I have it all. What I have is what I need. And what I need is what I have. And I'm happy. I don't need it. You take it. And Esav, relents. A little pressure. Please. No, you have it. No, I don't want it. Please. No, please. Okay, fine. That's fine, he takes it. Yaakov gives him, and he takes it. And this leads us to our final dialogue. All of this to set us up where we are. Let's just go way back. Not only did we go back a couple of times between Yaakov and Esau, we went back to when Yaakov stole the birthright. Before that, we had the episode when Yaakov buys the birthright. Technically before that. Before that, we had a battle in the womb, which we did discuss a couple of weeks ago. What are they fighting over? What's, what's being fought over already in the womb? So Rashi tells us again, the two worlds, this world and the next world. Either, neither one of them was able to remain victorious. And what did they end up doing? According to Chazal, they split the two worlds. Yaakov is going to have Olam Abba, but Esav rules in, in this world. This is the world of Esav. This is the world of power. It's a world of strength. It's a world that might makes right. It's the world that the strong will dominate. And that's been world history for many, 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 many times. That, that's how it works. This is the world of Esav. This is the world of Esav. Yaakov lives through the world, is often abused by that world, but he knows this isn't my place. This is, I'm here for a couple of years. What am I doing in my years here? I'm preparing myself for, for eternity, for, for the world to come, whether both in the world to come, the world of the souls, and the world to come eventually in this world. But like this world is Esav's world. Just a visitor here during this time, this long, this long exile uh, that we're in. But that was, the, that was the battle that they have. That was the battle they have. In that context, as the sages understand it, let's now take a look at their final dialogue. Pasuk Yud Beis. Vayomer, Esav, now after receiving these gifts, says to Yaakov, he makes him an offer. 
nisa v'neilecha. Let us travel on and let us go ve'elcha l'negidecha. And I will proceed alongside you. Let's travel together. You're going to the land of Israel. I live in the land of Israel. I live in Seir, excuse me. I'll accompany you. I'll, I'll, let's go together. How do you, what do, what do we see? What is this offer that Esav makes when he says, come, let us travel together? So the Midrashim, Chazal, seeing this, of Esav making an offer. You know, since the womb, we've been at odds. You took the world to come. I have this world. Let's go have him. Have these. We'll, say, we'll split it. I'll give you half of this world. You come join me. I have all the power. I have all the might. I'm the dominating force. I'll partner with you. Come, join me. Join me. I'll get half of the next world, but you'll have half of this world. Let's travel together. Yaakov's response. Yaakov's response is a timeless Jewish response. My master knows. The children are rach. They're tender. They're soft. They're young. And the nursing flocks and the cattle, they're upon me, the responsibility for them. I have to take care of them. If I push him, dofek means to push or to knock. If I push him even one day beyond their capabilities, all of my flocks, all of my flocks will die. Commentators point out, he started by saying, I have tender children and tender flocks. And if I push him too, too much, but he doesn't even want the words to come out of his mouth to say, my children will be harmed in any way. So he, just, he only said the, the flocks will die if I push him too hard. One more pause and then we'll go back. You, my master, you go on up ahead. You continue on. Va'ani, and as for me, es nahala li'iti, l'regel ha-melacha asher l'fanai, u'l'regel ha-yiladim. This phrase, es nahala li'iti, nahal, is like to be driven or to guide, li'iti, according to the slow pace, but es nahala is a um, reflective verb of, I, I, I have a, a Rebbe in uh, Ner Yisrael, uh, Rabbi Moshe, Eisman wrote a delicious book on parenting, a little booklet of parents and penguins, he called it. And he, in his introduction, he has a whole discussion of this phrase, which, he, without going through all the grammar and the details, means, es nahala li'iti, I will be led to guide my children according to the needs that they have. L'regel ha-melacha according to the task before me of my flocks, and according to my children, meaning my children's needs will dictate my pace. I, I can't keep up with you. You, you're a powerful man. You run this world. And, and, and that kind of power and dominance in the world requires a certain pace of life. You got to do things. You got to be on the move. You got to be able to navigate. But I, I, I'm worrying about the flock and about my children. And I can't set my pace based on what the world demands of me. I can only set my pace according to 
what my children need from me. And that is often at odds with what the pace that the world would require me. So you, Esav, you're a man of the world. You're a powerful figure, a dominating figure in the world. You go on up ahead. You go at whatever pace you need. But I can't keep up with that. It's an attempting offer to have dominion in this world. It's a tempting offer to be a partner with you in this world, but I can't do it. Because I can't do that and worry about my flock and about my children. And I choose my children. So you go ahead, I'll take care of them. Whatever pace they need. At whatever pace that is, whatever environment that is, even if it doesn't fit with everything else that's going on, that's my job right now. That's my job. And he, con- he continues. Eventually I'll catch up with you in a seir. I'll catch up. You just go on ahead and I'll eventually get there. Now, the... Well, I'll, get, I'll get back to that in a moment. Okay, so in our dialogue, so Asa says, come, let's go together. Yaakov says, I can. No, it's no, no, you go on ahead. I set my pace based on the needs of my children. That's what I set my pace on. And whatever else is going on in the world, I'll just slowly work my way through, making sure that my prized possessions are taken care of, and eventually I'll get to where you are. I'll get there eventually. Asaph is not done. Asaph is not done. His brother has just rebuked, has just, um, not rebuked him, has uh, rebuffed him. Asaph said, come, let's go together. We'll rule the world. Jacob says, you go on up ahead. I'm not interested. I'll get there eventually, but it's yours. Asaph has one last offer. Vayomer Asaph in Pesach Tezvav, Atsiga no imcha min ha'am asher iti. So let me send a few men with you. I'll send some people. Okay, you're right. I'm the force. I can't slow myself down enough for you. You have your own pace. I'll go on up ahead. Let me send some of my guys. I have some guys. They'll accompany you. They'll protect you. You're going to be, you know, it's a dangerous world out there, Yaakov. You're going to be here with all these women and these children. And me and my 400 men are going to go on up ahead. Who's going to protect you from the bandits? Who's going to be with you from all these storms of the world around? You're going to be subject to all of them. So let me, let me send some, some of my guys with you in your camp, and they'll, they'll be with you to protect you. And this, Yaakov says, Yaakov simply says, again, these are the last words between Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov says, Vayomer Loma Zeh. Why? I don't, I, I don't need it. Let me just find favor in your eyes. Take you and your men and go on ahead. And I and my flock and my children, representing, as we have always been throughout these centuries, we'll get to the modern times in a minute, this defenseless sheep, cattle, children, women, defenseless, are just going to make our way through history protecting ourselves as best we can, unable to keep up, unable to keep pace. But we do not want you and your men to be part of our camp because we have a vision. 
we have a goal. We have a set of ethics and morals and spiritual missions that are part of our lives. And just, you go on ahead. We'll meet you there when we get there. But you're not protected. That's right. That's right, Yaakov says. But I don't, it's not worth it. I don't want it. Wamazen. Let me just find favor in your eyes. And if you don't harm me, I'll, I'll deal with it. You just go on up ahead and I will get there eventually. Last couple of points. Yaakov goes to Seir. So the sages point out, Yaakov says, I'm gonna, I'll meet you in Seir. He never, he, he never intended on going there and he doesn't go there. Sages so say, yeah, 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 yeah. Yaakov knew exactly what he was saying. Eventually, at the end of days, we're going to go to Har Seir for a judgment because we're going to have what to say to Edom and to Esau over 2,000 years of exile and there'll be a reckoning. We'll get you, we'll get there then. But it's true, until then, you go your way, we'll go ours and we'll try to navigate as best we can living in a world that's really not ours. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago and I'll just say it again. Um, what we've been experiencing over the last 80 years is as we're moving towards the end of this Gullus, for, for 2,000 years of our Gullus, from the time of the Beis Hamikdash's destruction until literally 1948, we were this embodiment of a shepherd with flock and children and women and no form of protection, working our way through history. And what has shifted in the last 80 years um, is this massive shift that not only have we not figured out how to deal with, but the world certainly has not figured out how to deal with, what to make of a powerful, global force called the land of Israel. With an army, a nuclear army, a powerful <laughs> army, we were a force in air, and we don't know how to handle that. That's new for the Jewish people. There isn't any misora as to how we how we handle that, because for 2,000 years, that's, that's not been, it's, it's been a gullus ex- mentality of just, you know, bow low like Yaakov, wait for the storm to pass, and like, just hope it's not so bad. But this, this new entity, we're figuring it out, and the Jewish people are figuring it out, and we will, because that's our next step. That's the next step in the process. But this last dialogue, in which Asa said, I'll, I'll send with you, let me join you, and Yaakov rebuffs, he's not interested. I, I, I set my pace. My pace is set simply by the needs of my children, the needs of my flock. I'll get to you when I get to you. I'll meet you in Seir when I arrive. And um, we're not there yet. Yaakov goes to Sukkot. So where does he go right after this, the bottom of the page? He goes to a place called Sukkot. And he builds for himself a house. And for his mikna, his cattle, he, he builds Sukkot. Much to discuss there also. The word sukkah, we know, is a, as a, a flimsy, not protective. That's for, he builds a house for himself, but it's called sukkot. That's where Yaakov goes. Yaakov, this is our story. This is the story of the Jewish people. Again, there's so much in these parshas that just relate to uh, that which we're going through, uh, that which we're going through right now. So we just c- touched on a little bit of it. Touched on a little bit of it. But this, uh, that language, again, just to, to conclude, of that response of Yaakov. You go on up ahead. I worry about my children. That's what I worry about. That's how I take care of myself and my future. Um, that's where my focus is. And whatever pace the rest of the world needs is not relevant, more, is not more important than that. And that's how we set our pace. That's what we do. We set up our schools. We set up our yeshivas. We worry about the next generation. And whatever comes our way because of that comes our way. 
That is our tradition that we have uh, from Yaakov as he concludes and says goodbye to his brother uh, Esav Halavai. We should get all of our children back. Everybody should be safe. The children, the soldiers should return home. The hostages should return home. Everybody should be in safety as we are in this next stage of our uh, difficult uh, journey. But Mirz Hashem should all be, uh, we should see the light to Mirz Hashem soon. Amen. Amen.